0: good day to you ladies and gentlemen and welcome to one of the best podcasts you'll ever listen to in your life impressions in motion i am one half of the host today kurt aka the Hypersonic 55 and i'm glad that you decided to join us for one of the Wonderful episodes that we do, and I have a partner and his name
1: is... (laughs) What's your name again? I didn't know, I forgot it as well. (laughs) The energy, the energy is is too much.
0: Oh man, I mean, the the sun is sapping away my energy, so I have to, you know, was it elevate things by like, I don't know, 20%. I
1: thought
0: you liked the sun though. I like the sun on occasions, but without a breeze, the sun's no good to me.
1: What do you like then? Because I know you hate the snow. Yes, you're not, you're not a fan of the rain. The sun is kind of a drag. What is your favorite weather? Uh, you know wind. I like some wind. wind. You like a hurricane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean' here's what, this is what my listen what my ideal day looks like. Sun. Not too strong, but not too light decent you gotta have a breeze light but not too windy that's my ideal kind of day i don't mind a rainy day as long as it's not raining too hard because it's gonna get me all damp yeah that sounds like a drab day i know you're just all about your weird rainy days and like
1: you know the cold winter season that ain't my jam at all yeah i'm a big fan of the winter i love some snow and some rain the sun i just think oh i don't know it drains me as soon as it's hot i'm like i don't want to do anything I, can I just think that. when people talk about good weather, they're almost always referring to warm weather. But for me, oh, it's just not good.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't love warm weather. I mean, warm weather is nice occasionally, sporadically. I don't demand it like you know, is it continuously for the rest of my days? I just like to be you know at a decent temperature. I don't like to be too warm, and I don't like to be too cold. Cold, I'll lose the feeling of my fingers. Too hot, and I'll end up passing out. No thanks.
1: A medium in yeah. between,
0: like, like the nerd said in that video,
1: in the bullshit video. I can, I can understand that. I just don't, really don't get it, though, because it was really hot here the other day, and um, that was like the busiest day of the year so far. I yeah. guess it, it, it was a bank holiday at the same time, so I guess that helps. I remember but that as I was soon at work, as the sun comes out and then everybody's pouring out their front doors, you open your window and you're attacked by the sound of like fifteen lawnmowers people are outside painting their houses, they're underneath their cars, going here, there, and everywhere. I don't know how they have the energy for it as soon as it's warm, I'm like, "Oh, I just need to lie down and get some ice on me <laughs> I mean, these are the kind of days that,
0: when I was still in school, were ideal for playing video games. I never cared to be outside. I mean, unless I had friends to play with outside, I was always just there playing on my GameCube, probably. I remember many a summer I lost to, you know, was it my GameCube playing, I don't know, Smash Brothers or Fancy Star Online in the summer weather, and people just like, oh yeah, how do you spend your summer vacation? Playing video games, yeah! <laughs> Time well spent, then. Um, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is Chris. Um, don't know if he said his name
1: yet. Well, if they've been listening at all, then they probably know who I am. If if this is their first episode, then uh, hello, I'm Chris. I feel nice like to meet you.
0: I feel like at one point you're gonna have to introduce yourself. Um, when someone asks you who you who your name is, you'll be be like, you know who I am, uh, <laughs> and I'll just be like,
1: they do. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to do it at some point. Maybe at episode fifty. If somebody asks me who my name is, <laughs> great English there.
0: Shut up, man. You know exactly <laughs> what I mean. It's kind of hard to go about and describe a quote when you're not doing it verbatim.
1: No, no, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah, this podcast after a disastrous start. style.
0: I feel like I'm the Titanic and we're already sinking. <laughs> ah, it's not that bad.
1: Oh, Jesus. All right. Um... In today's episode, episode number 9, we're almost at number 10. Ooh. We are going to be chatting, as usual, about all the kinds of, sort of movies we've been watching recently, including uh, some big blockbusters that we missed out on since our last episodes a little while ago, including Ready Player One, Eye um, of the Dogs, uh, The Avengers. So I'm sure Curtis has a lot to say about those, especially. Uh, and then we're going to move into our kind of uh, topic We're going to be discussing our best, worst, most immersive, and most disappointing cinema experiences. So that'll be episode number nine, and uh, then it will end, and we'll say goodbye. Forever. All right. (laughs)
0: Okay, so what point in March were were we, like, the last time we did this? Because I've seen a good few things as of recent. Uh, 27th of uh, March. All right, so I'm going to blitz through these as quickly as possible. Ooh and R. Ah. So, um, firstly, March 30th, which was my birthday, by the way. Haha. ha. Uh, I ended up watching Isle of Dogs. And Happy I thought... Happy birthday. <laughs> Safe. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Isle of Dogs. I ended up seeing that on my birthday because I was super giddy to go back and see this because I really like most... Wes Anderson films. I haven't seen his entire film on three yet, but for the most part, most of his films are like, you know, is it four to five out of five for me? Isle of Dogs for me was good. From a visual standpoint, it was brilliant. Uh, you know, the style of animation was really good, the uh, puppet work and the attention to detail was really good, but the story itself was not nearly as engaging as I thought it'd be. I thought the voice cards was really solid. The film had me engaged for I think maybe the first 40 or so minutes, but afterwards it sort of petered out. Um, There's loads of people that seem to love this film, and I'm happy for Wes Anderson's success, but I feel like it's not as impressive as Fantastic Mr. Fox's previous effort. In terms of all the other films I've seen after that, uh, in the April month, good gravy, I saw a good chunk. Um, But I'm going to try and brief this out. Uh, There's this documentary called Cartel Land that I decided to rewatch for the first time in about, I think maybe two, three years. Really good. Documentary about like, you know, the Mexican cartel and the struggles of how to keep that whole uh, Dangerous system like you know, is it in check from like, you know The point of view of like, you know, the bad guys the good guys and the sort of in between and how there's like You know, a sort of murky gray area between this whole sort of situation Uh Haywire, a film that I've been meaning to watch for many, many years. Uh, I remember seeing the trailer for it in the cinema, and I was really excited to see it, but I just never got around to it, but it's been on my watch list for many years, as I said before. But I thought it was good. Not bad. Some interesting stuff. Uh, Ready Player One. Uh, I like that film. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, the story falls into uh, you know, a very formulaic... Uh, Kind of manner and if you've seen any form of films in this kind of action-adventure kind of genre beforehand And you can see certain things coming a mile away that being said I think it's one of my favorite like you know recent Spielberg films just because it has a nice sense of fun to it And obviously because I am a nerd there are certain references to film and video games that literally just had me all giddy Oh Good stuff um, So yeah fun Pacific Rim Uprising Okay um, some of the visuals are cool. The film wasn't as bad as I thought it'd be, but it just, just didn't need to happen. Birdman. After I saw that, uh, after all the hype I'd heard about the film being like, you know, the Second Coming of Christ or something, I ended up seeing it, and I thought it was good. I thought the performances were really stellar. The film techniques that were implemented in that film were unexpected for me because I didn't know that was actually a thing. But it was good. Uh, just not as good as I thought it'd be. I saw a Quiet Place in the cinema, and I thought that was a really effective film. Uh really great use of sound really great performance from everybody involved very tense good stuff reminded me of signs in a good way but not in a good way because that film freaks me out and then before the avengers came out i ended up watching most of the films from phase one and i think it was dr strange and age of ultron so i don't need to go through any of those uh i ended up re-watching the raid recently uh that film still holds up pretty well a nice self-contained little action film there's this other direct-to-video uh, film I think that starred like Wesley Snipes before he got incarcerated um, which came out later in his career like sort of what I think around the time he was still in jail it's not that anyway it's called The Gallo Walkers is this weird sort of I guess fantasy Western uh, horror kind of thing but it's all sorts of awful uh, I also saw True Lies for the first time and I thought that film was pretty good not as Epic as I expected considering how many people hyped the film up, but still pretty good. Uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, I heard a lot about that film. Ended up pretty, pretty funny, but not as funny as some of the other Mel Brooks films I've seen. Um, And Avengers Infinity War. Uh, What can I say? I am one of the biggest fans of the MCU period. Uh, I remember watching all of these films in the cinema and for the most part loving the majority of them. I thought Infinity War was damn good really fun really bold striking material for the uh, for the stuff they was able to do with it and the amount of cast that they had and the story that they had to try and do it's, it's amazing that the film was put together in the way in which it would it wasn't it stuck really funny great action moments you know if you're a fan of this material it has some great surprises some great like emotional payoff and like you know just nice references good stuff good stuff. Um, re-watched Dread for the first time since I saw it in the cinema in 2012, and it was good. Um, I like it a little bit more than I remember, so that's always a good thing. Uh, the film The Rundown, also known as Welcome to the Jungle, I haven't seen that film since I saw it in the cinema, so, uh, that film was still pretty good. The Rocket and Sean William Scott, good stuff. And, um... The most recent film I've seen is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, After all the years of everyone going on and on and on about this film, I'm like, you know what? Bloody hell, screw it. I'm going to watch it, and it was pretty good. Um, Not nearly as amazing as everyone goes on about, but really effective emotional material. Um, I didn't realise there were so many noteworthy people in the film, but yes, um, interesting revelations, really good acting, good stuff. And that's me done.
1: Nice. You've been blitzing through films this month. Yeah, just a little bit. All right. Still time, baby. All right. I also saw Pacific Rim Uprising. I thought, in comparison to the first film especially, which even then I wasn't particularly big on, uh, but in comparison to that film, Uprising is just such a disappointment, and it makes the first film look so much better and i think it really flounders when it comes to the characters and the directions it takes them in the new cast are just not as engaging as the old cast and the old characters that are brought back i just think are not handled in a very particularly good ways uh, i think it goes against a lot of their characterization in the first film and there's a bit i want to mention specifically but it's a bit spoiler territory but i just i'll just say i do not i'm not a fan of how they handled the old characters in Uprising and the new characters just didn't really cut it for me so yeah it's just a kind of you know a cheesy action spectacle rather than anything more I think um, the first film was a lot more on the nose it knew what it was it had fun with what it was but at the same time it knew when to be serious and how to be serious and uh, the second one is just a bit all over the place just didn't really do it for me. I also saw a quiet place i thought it was very decent um not as good as, as some of the hype i've seen but all in all a great film and i really liked the uh the opening sequence and it reminded me of it in that way because for a quiet place and it i hadn't even watched a trailer for either film i hadn't heard anything about them really i think the only thing i heard about a quiet place was i watched um the interview with the two main cast members on graham norton and that's how i found out about the film i didn't watch any trailers didn't read any reviews and it was similar to it so i just heard a uh, good word of mouth before i went to see that um so i didn't really know how intense they were going to be but the first sequences in both films really kind of grab your attention and say to you straight away this is that kind of movie i i was not expecting uh what happens in those movies at the very beginning to happen I mean, it's very kind of like, wow moment, you know. So it gripped me right from the beginning. I think uh, it had a very good conclusion as well. All in all, a very good film. I saw a South Korean film called More Than Blue. Um, It's kind of a, you know, sappy, sentimental kind of romance film from South Korea. Uh, There is quite a lot of them from there. Um, But this is is kind of on the lower scale, I would say. It's about a, a terminally ill man. who who loves this woman, but he kind of has to push her away um, because obviously he he believes that they're not going to have a happy ending together because, you know, of his illness. So he kind of reluctantly sets her up with another man. And I thought it was good at expressing, you know, the kind of complications of love and, you know, the the pain that it takes to to kind of keep these things inside, you know, all the things you want to express, you just kind of want to, you know, say to somebody... I love you, or, or your feelings, you want to kind of spill them out, but you can't, and you, you keep them reserved inside. I thought it was good at kind of displaying that inner anguish, but at the same time, it just did not maintain that kind of uh, polished um, sort of feel that it began with. It, it just fell apart come the end, and there were certain characters uh, whose inclusion was a bit kind of um, dubious to me. I'm not really sure why they're there they had a very kind of strange um feeling towards the film it doesn't really make sense i'm not going to go into spoilers but yeah it just it just was not as polished as it could have been and i think uh it reminded me of another film called christmas in august also from south korea um and this is also about a terminally ill man who uh, is reluctant to get into a relationship due to his illness but i just think it's displayed that sort of plot is displayed With much greater finesse and a greater degree of delicacy and you know just um, coherency than more than blue so I would definitely recommend Christmas in August over more than blue and Christmas in August is in fact one of my favorite South Korean films I thought it's so well done so more than blue nah Christmas in August definitely recommend I also saw Ready Player One and Isle of Dogs. Uh, I share much of the same sentiment that you expressed on those, so I won't really add anything more. I saw Birdshot, which is a film from uh, the Philippines, actually, Uh, first Filipino film I've actually seen, and it sets a really good precedent because uh, it was such an engaging and moving film. It's essentially a coming-of-age story about a young uh, sort of farm girl. She lives with her father. I think her mother died during childbirth, it was. And uh, her father's basically the curator of the land and they live next to a sort of a sanctuary where there's a protected species of eagle. And uh, the farm girl is it basically it's just her and her father. So her father's teaching her how to be self-sufficient. You know, she's teaching, he's teaching her how to hunt. Uh, she has a hunting rifle and um, essentially she goes into this sanctuary And she shoots and kills one of the eagles to kind of make a point to her father. Because prior to this sequence, uh, she had failed to shoot another bird uh, in her father's presence. And uh, she was kind of hesitant and reluctant. So here she's kind of trying to prove she can do it. But, you know, as it would be, she shoots an eagle and it's protected. And uh, so that gets her into a whole lot of trouble when the sanctuary kind of uh, curator then gets the police involved and there's this whole sort of investigation into who killed the eagle and uh this is concurrent to a sort of a another uh, plot with the with the police who are also investigating another crime involving the disappearance of a bus full of people and the police themselves are very corrupt uh, very dodgy and uh in that way the film is sort of a social commentary but it's also a coming-of-age tale and the two plot lines kind of converge in the end And uh, it was just such a great film, I thought. Um, Very fresh and very visually alluring as well. The cinematography is brilliant. The colour palette, the framing, just the whole setting, uh, very beautiful. So I'd really recommend Birdshot. Uh, I also saw In the Mood for Love, which is a very, very uh, famous film. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. I saw Anthem of the Heart, which is an anime from 2015. Uh, I thought it was really good in the way it kind of, Combined shonen and shoujo uh, sensibilities, but I didn't think it was as good as some of the other recent anime films like Your Name and uh, A Silent Voice. I also saw two films from Kyoshi Kurosawa. I watched Pulse and I re-watched Tokyo Sonata. Absolutely love Tokyo Sonata. Pulse was great as well, but Tokyo Sonata, I think if I had to do a top 10, it would definitely be in there. I think it's such a brilliant film. I'd recommend it to anybody. And I also saw Avengers: Infinity War. For me, I'm on a very different page uh, than you are, Curtis. I think it just felt a bit soulless to me, um, and I'm kind of beyond it now. I'm not not really too into Marvel anymore. I've kind of you know, I'm I don't think outgrown is is the right word. I definitely haven't outgrown it. I mean, people of all ages enjoy the Marvel uh, movies. But, you know, I've just kind of, I've tired of it. There's been so many of these films in such a short span of time. I'm just, you know, more interested in watching something else. But, you know, I went to see it anyway. I have um, a cinema membership site. I went and watched it. I didn't feel bored, really. But at the same time, I wasn't particularly engaged by it. It just felt a bit soulless, a bit bland, a bit predictable in areas. And I thought a lot of the film was the characters kind of just interacting with each other and talking about what had happened or what's going to happen rather than doing anything and i think that's a lot of the appeal of it that like most of the fans like to watch these characters interact with each other you know like they like to see what thor will say to iron man and so on for me it's just not really what i'm into um, but, you know, if you liked it, I can respect that. I don't think, um you know, it's wrong at all. People are free to like whatever they want. But for me, it's just, yeah, as I say, a bit bland. uh Didn't really grip me too much. But, yep, that's all I've seen. Interesting. I mean, I
0: had a feeling, like, uh, you know what? I'm going to dwell on this for a few seconds. I have to. <laughs> um, that's fine. That's fine. Because here's the thing, like, um, I think. Was it? I had this conversation with one of the guys I work with as well, because he said hey, he thought the film was good, but he wasn't overwhelmed by it. I think this is one of those sort of things where it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe is more like a television series now than a, you know, than a you know set of films. It's interwoven in a way where you can't jump into any of these films without having seen everything that goes on beforehand, knowing every intricate detail about certain characters, plots. Um, you know, unique items that will you know come into play later on or before. Uh, it's an interconnected network, and it's one of the sort of things that you have to buy into fairly early on. And I think, in some ways, the best and worst thing that happens to Marvel is that they ended up making more than two films a year because when it started becoming three. I as a you know fan of not only the source material but these films I love this kind of stuff so I can let it wash over me and as long as the films aren't bad I can keep jumping into it but then at the same time for those who aren't like you know was it well and you know aren't invested in the universe as much as I am or you know certain other fans it can become tiresome because for everything that Marvel does differently you know in terms of you know the change of characters you know locations some visual and uh audio based like you know it uh, changes uh, there is a formula that is very very you know easy to recognize regardless of how many variations that marvel put to it there are there is a marvel formula and if you're not down with that kind of thing then yeah i mean it can become tiresome boring or like you know is it predictable and um I think Marvel are in a place right now where they can only change so much because they have a brand that they have a brand and a formula that works so why rot the boat when it makes you so much money um so yeah I mean for me being invested in this world as much as I am I've seen a good chunk of these films like you know was it anywhere between two to five times in the cinema because I'm that kind of nutcase uh Infinity War just did everything i wanted it to do in a lot of ways there were some variations here and there in terms of the stuff i expected but i just thought it was really fun but at the same time i can understand like you know is it from your perspective and a good number of other people i've seen online as well they just said like oh yeah it's just not for me i'm over the mcu i want some variation and difference so it's all good, man. It's all good in the hood. I'm not one of the sort of people that's gonna fight you online about saying, you know, is it? Or if okay, here's the thing: if you say that you don't like the film, but you give me a crap reason as to why you don't like it, I, you know, I might just say, oh, you know, you're an idiot. You know, explain your reasons in a logical manner. But if you have an articulate way of explaining yourself, which doesn't seem like you know bull crap essentially, then yeah, do what you gotta
1: do, baby. See that's another aspect of it. I think Marvel have really landed on a very bankable and kind of genius formula. Really, they make these huge blockbuster films which appeal to the masses, but yeah. at the same time they also appeal to you know kind of the more niche uh, comic book audience. I mean that after credit sequence, I'm not going to s- explain anything about it, so don't worry about spoilers. Yeah, but I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> you know, when I was young, I, I didn't read comics. I've never been a comic book reader. I've not been a, a, really a, that much of a fan of superheroes. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like some superhero video games. And uh, every now and then, you know, I'd pick up a, a Spider-Man comic. And I, I, you know, I'd read through that when I was on holiday or something, you know, just, you know, to read in the car or whatever. But I would never go out my way and buy comics. So I don't have any of this knowledge that so many others do. But I think it's it's kind of wonderful how Marvel still put that in the film for those uh, relatively small number of audience, really, in comparison to everyone who goes to see this movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's good that they're able to cater to pretty much everybody in that way. But for me, since I don't have that kind of background with Marvel, you know, obviously I know who Marvel are. I know the superheroes' names. I know their powers and stuff. That's kind of knowledge you kind of gather as you grow up. You know, you see these, these um superheroes on tv or whatever but i don't have any knowledge beyond that very much yeah so for me it just doesn't really appeal to me in that in that respect and uh i know there is a lot of people like me that still go to watch these movies and don't really have a lot of knowledge of marvel but in that respect again they might have seen the whole horde of movies that have come before for me i still haven't seen age of ultron i haven't seen the second uh captain america film <gasps> I think there's also something else I'm missing. Um, I'm sure there's one other another one. I I did look this up actually the other week. Uh, yeah, I think there's three movies that I haven't seen, and they appear to be very crucial films. Ant-Man, because... Doctor Strange. No, I, I saw Ant-Man. I actually really liked Ant-Man, and I oh, saw thank Strange. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was disappointed Ant-Man wasn't in a um, Infinity War actually. Oh, but... spoilers! Well, that's not really a spoiler. I, mean... <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> um. okay so let's see But let me just let me just finish this before we go on to another tangent but what, oh, yeah, yeah. What, what I'm basically getting is that for me I don't have this kind of you know affinity with Marvel I don't really have any background with Marvel and then I'm missing some of the movies and then I've been kind of inundated with the ones I have seen so I'm kind of a bit tired of it it's just all these little things adding up to this infinity war and I'm just like mm, you know now I'm ready for something a bit different but I do see why people enjoy it. I mean, it is a spectacle. It's a really kind of action-packed film which converges all these characters that everybody loves into one scenario. And uh, I definitely see the appeal. Just uh, for me, it's just not there. And I also have to say, I haven't actually seen anyone ever say this. I'm sure there is people out there, but I have no not seen anyone say that they do not like Iron Man and I am not really a fan of Iron Man oh don't worry there are some Tony Stark Iron Man like detractors out there Um, and I just I don't like how Iron Man is really the centre of the Avengers is that how it is in the comics
0: not really I mean Captain America is sort of like the main leader but there's also the fact that it's more of a you know team dynamic than anything else because everybody has like but I think there's more super-powered individuals in the team as well, but I think just because, obviously, Robert Downey Jr., he's that sort of linchpin that sort of started this whole universe, and I think the problem yeah, is Yeah, I that liked Iron Man 1. After I, thought, the, I thought it was good. Yeah, because I think, was it... My issue with the use of Tony Stark is that, with the Avengers, it was still smart for them to play off of him being the main guy, because, like, again, it was a phase one, um, but also because, you know, he ended up... You know, saving everybody in the end when he had to go back and take that missile into space and all that. The problem is that I think because Robert Downey Jr. became so big, uh, every, the writers felt the need to go back and write everything still around him. And the fact that they've uh, mini tangent. Give me a give me a quick sec. Basically, one of the one of the things that annoys me about Tony Stark and the MCU now is that they've made him such a annoying character in the sense that he had a nice art between Avengers. Uh, between the first Iron Man and, like, Avengers, where he was still a bit of, like... Oh, oh, sorry,
1: sorry. Uh, Just to mention, Iron Man 3 is the other film I haven't seen.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I think you might like that one. Yeah, because you're not, like, you know, big in the comics, so there are certain things that won't disappoint you as much as it does, like, some other people. Um, But, yeah, we'll get to that another time. But yeah, basically, you know, between Iron Man and Avengers, he had an interesting arc. He finally did become a bit more of a, you know, superhero, you know, a little bit more selfless, a little bit more understanding about the nature of what he has to do as a hero to, you know, help people out, be a good guy and stop being, you know, such a pain in the ass. But the problem was by the time they got to Avengers 2, it's almost like any of the lessons that the guy learned sort of just flew out the window and they just wrote him in the same way that he was, you know, prior to everything happening. So... He ends up making Ultron, and Spider-Man, he's still got, like, random problems that, you know, st- technically stem from his own mistakes, and it's like they write him in a sense that he still hasn't learned a damn thing, so he's still making mistakes, still causing chaos with loads of people,
1: and I'm just like, what is going on? You see, that's, I think, another issue with uh, these films, that they have so many characters coming together in one movie but even in their individual films the arcs are are fairly small all they're rather straightforward and then it's kind of self-contained in a way like you mentioned iron man it doesn't really progress i kind of felt that in uh, infinity war with um mark ruffalo he kind of as i understand he's he's been gone for like was it two years or something yeah he's been off uh, for a while yeah and he comes back and he's like hi i'm back and that's that that's that done yeah, It's yeah. kind of like, mm, shouldn't there be a bit more, a bit more substance to it? But, you know, I kind of get why, because they only have so much time, but that's a whole other aspect of it. Yeah, if They only have so much time. Why cram so many uh, characters into one film? Wouldn't it be better to have, like, a series of films focusing on, a like, kind of, you know, section of the characters? But, you know, they're making money, so I can't really knock him for it but yeah that's that's why i thought it was just a bit bland for me it just lacked substance well
0: ladies and gentlemen if you would like to hear more of these kind of topics there is an upcoming episode i'll going to be working on that deals with these very topics the good and the bad of the mcu coming out
1: 2018 is this on film focus <laughs> it might be. is this self-advertising <laughs> going on again oh man you know we've got to spread the love all over the place yeah, but uh, I don't, know. It's it, we're at an interesting time, I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember going to a comic shop, I think about three or four years ago when, you know, even then, I mean, Marvel's massive now, but even then it was, it was huge. And I remember someone chatting to actually the owner and he was basically saying it's great because when I was young, you know, you were a nerd if you liked comic books and superheroes, but now everyone likes it. So, yeah, it's kind of strange how it's, uh, it's, Blown up in that way. I just wonder when these movies will end, if they will end, and then what will kind of be the new thing afterwards.
0: Yeah, everyone's trying to figure that one out right now. I think it just depends on what the next genre. It depends on what the genres are doing right now, because I reckon if done correctly, I mean, sci-fi has never really gone away, but in the last few years, there's definitely been a lot more interesting uses of like you know science fiction so i reckon that could make a big comeback in a way if done correctly and if they ever get video games sorted out everyone's looking to that as being the next like you know big thing if they can you know make a good one but that still seems like it's a far cry away because no one knows what the hell they're
1: doing with some of these adaptations good gravy don't get me started all it takes is one film though i mean marvel had the first iron man and that was you know kind of I don't know if it was really an unexpected success, but Iron Man then, I remember when they announced that and they made that, nobody outside of, you know, kind of the comic book fringe really knew that much about Iron Man, but it served as a really good, you know, starting point to then build up this franchise and then go on to the Avengers and then Avengers 2, Avengers 3... And uh, now we're here, and everyone knows Iron Man. I now mean, there's little kids got Iron Man costumes for Halloween. And you just see Iron Man merchandise all over the place. So it's it's crazy how, how much they built up this kind of you know character. But then that's also yet another aspect of it, which is the sales. You know the merchandise. You know the kind of corporate aspect of, of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, which is probably another reason they tried to cram as many characters into one film but um one other thing i'd like to say about iron man is yes his suit kind of annoys me now i liked iron man one wait isn't i firstly he built that suit to you know break out of um the you know, imprisonment and then he kind of improved it and decided he was going to you know fight for kind of like justice you know get rid of all these weapons only use them for you know to protect people oh yeah i kind of i like that it was self-contained it was great But then every movie it seems his suit becomes more and more and more and in infinity war it seemed like some of the stuff he was doing is just borderline magic (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so like this is where this is where it starts to get complicated
0: because yes I i've always been a fan of like you know the more mechanical like uh suits my favorite suits of iron man are all within the first phase so you know the suitcase armor from my man two, the phase um the mark three you know the classic gold red and gold one that he gets when he goes to gold mirror and starts beating people up for the first time mm, that suit still mm, makes me happy uh and obviously in avengers when he goes about and has that weird like armor that he uh you know i think it's the mark seven that he uses when he loki throws him out the window that armor's pretty damn cool as well but the problem is with the improvement of cgi at the same time the problem is Robert Downey Jr. stopped wearing I think was it the suits I think in Early phase two or I think maybe at the end of Avengers so now they literally just Keep his head and CGI the rest of the whole thing on and it looks so fake in certain sequences where you can see It's just his head on like on top of the CG stuff but the problem is now that the suits have adapted to certain levels of technology um, the one in the Infinity Ward uses nanotechnology, so that's why it forms over him in the same sort of way that, like, uh, Black Panthers does. But the problem is that, yes, without the pro- proper scientific know-how or showing how he actually made it, it does just come across as, like, some next-level, what the shag is this? It's not even science anymore, but technically speaking, if you know the till then you know that he's actually been able to do this kind of stuff in the comics, so it's more just adapting what's already in existence, but I, I understand exactly what you mean by that. I just felt the need to say it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, another thing. I, just, I kind of feel on the fence about it, really, because on one hand, it's a Marvel film. They're superheroes. I'm not supposed to take it, you know, literally. It's not supposed to take it that seriously. But, on the other hand, Tony Stark is a human character. You know, he has to work within the realm of science. It's set largely, I believe, within the modern day, if not a little bit further into the future. And just some of the stuff he's doing is insane. I was just watching it. I remember watching the cinema. I was like, what the hell was that? (laughs) I was like, Doctor Strange couldn't even do that. But, um, you know, we're going to get into nitpick territory here. So I won't really go there. But, you know, I I, I understand people like this movie. That's fair enough. Uh, They definitely have an appeal, just not for me all right uh, shall we move on to the next topic
0: yes yes we can do all right so you came up with this brilliant idea and i i want to hear yours first because i i i only know some of the film experiences that you've had and i'd want to know if some of them are you know not involving me because i i've obviously i've shared like, <laughs> many many film experiences with you beforehand but i want to know about the cinema-based Experiences that could potentially be without me. I want to know if you have any interesting stories to tell, my friend.
1: They're actually all without you apart from two. <laughs> oh, that's great. I can't <laughs> wait, mate. But no, I think the best if we take turns. So right, for, for the listener right now, we're going to talk about our cinema experiences. You know, films we've gone to see and have really either enjoyed or hated or, you know, it's kind of welled up a particular emotion or, you know, memory within us. So, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, we've got most memorable, worst, most immersive, and most disappointing. So, perhaps we should begin, in that order, with our most memorable cinema experiences. Is that good with you? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, for me, the most memorable cinema experience was actually with our dear friend, Elon. Oh, uh, but you were not there, Curtis. This oh. was when me and Elon went on our little journey to London to see the double bill of the new Evangelion movies. Oh, yeah, I remember that from college. You guys were going <laughs> on about that for
0: ages and kept saying, oh, yeah, Curtis, you missed out, you missed out. And I'm just like, I'll oh, get around to it on bloody DVD. Oh, I don't
1: know. I don't, I don't remember going on about it too much, but I do remember when I'm... Um, the dates came up and i was like hey hey guys we should go see these films but uh, i don't think you had enough money at the time so me and Elon just ended up going and i'd actually already seen both of them actually but i don't think Elon has seen either of them so this is the the first two rebuild of evangelion films in the the tetralogy uh, there's three out so far they're working on the fourth and final but the first two i think are definitely the strongest out of those that have uh, been released so far and just on the big screen, it was one of the the first times I'd really seen an anime film on that scale. Um, obviously, me, you, and Elon also went to see Redline. I think that was after Evangelion. And me and you went to see Ponyo at the cinema. But Evangelion on the big screen was very, very impressive. Uh, I don't think you have actually seen them, have you? <laughs> Still to this day, no. They're on my watch list yeah so i won't really go into spoilers but just um obviously you know it's adapted from the tv series the tv series is itself stunning but the films kind of take it from the ground up and rebuild it it's literally rebuild of evangelion all the animation is redone the designs are redone the plot is reworked and it just they've created something that's both reminiscent of the tv series but is in its own right you know very new and very fresh and very much its own thing and uh being able to see that on the in the, on the cinema with yeah. you know all these like-minded fans around you was just a very i was gonna say immersive i guess i could include this in the the immersive uh segment as well but it was just very immersive and um i remember at the end of the first film because alan hadn't seen them i asked him so so what did you think and then he kind of related it to the first time he'd ever seen a movie in the cinema. Like it was wow. that momentous for him. <laughs> Damn. So yeah, that that always kind of stuck with me. But I mean then we went to see the second film because there was a little intermission. And when that comes to a close, just the whole cinema started applauding and cheering. And, you know, we live in the UK. I've heard that the audience react a lot more in America to films but in the uk it's pretty much you go watch a movie uh, if it's a comedy or i have some comedic segments you know the audience generally laughs or chuckles then it finishes and you go home nobody ever really does anything other than that when you go to see a <laughs> film here so to yeah. see this rapturous you know kind of appreciation for the movie afterwards was just very memorable to me and it was just a great time i booked the tickets well in advance so i got me and Elon great seats right in the middle brilliant view and it was just uh, a really great time so that's probably my most memorable cinema experience what about you oh man i have some generic answers so uh hold on <laughs> to you but <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so you know what i couldn't pick one i have it down to three um so in terms of a fresh cinema-based experience, I'd say. Seeing the Avengers for the first time in a cinema was a big deal for me, because, like I said before, like I was very invested in this whole world, and the lead up to it was, like you know, to put it in a comparison, um, for you video game fans out there, do you remember the you know the wait between Millie and Brawl? How everybody was frothing yeah. at the mouth for that game that's yeah. how that's how I felt for the Avengers going from like Captain America like uh, number one and seeing that little teaser trailer at the end for the 30 seconds before the Avengers came out I was like I was salivating at the mouth waiting for this film and <laughs> me and my mate decided to skip uni to go about and watch this film we watched we attempted to watch all five of the MCU films leading up to that point we got through three fell asleep um, <laughs> during uh I think was it the like last last, actually yeah, yeah, so we made it through the first two Iron Man films in Hulk, we got about maybe two thirds of the way through uh, Thor before we started drifting out, and we saw like the last ending portions of like Captain America, and by the time it was like 8 to 10 o'clock in the morning, it was like, okay, let's go watch the movie we ended up watching it, and it was just to see that kind of film put together in the way in which it was it was just an astronomically interesting, wonderful amazing experience, and me and my mate just couldn't forget, it was just a fan- fabulous moment um, the other film that I really enjoyed wasn't even a new film but uh, it was Jurassic Park actually well that got re-released in the cinema I think in 2013 I ended up watching that and it was the time when the film was re-released in 3d with the post converted 3d in it and even though I'm not like you know the biggest fan of 3d I've only ever found it to be useful in a handful of films I thought as a post conversion it was really good but it also really reminded me of how much I adore that movie is one of the films I saw so many times on VHS. And I know the film almost backwards and forwards in terms of the quotes, action sequences (laughs) and everything. So being able to see, you know, the introduction sequence with the Raptor um, and like uh, Modune and like that guy getting pulled into the cage. It's like, shoot. Ah, I (laughs) love it. Um, Just, you know, one of my favorite quotes ever, like, um, Dachshund, Dachshund, we got Dachshund here. (laughs) <laughs> See nobody cares. I, I love I love everything about that film. the quotes, the music, every actor I, I adore that movie. it's just my it's my jam. Um, and the one other film I wanted to mention was uh, Toy Story 3. I like Toy Story 1. I have a bigger affinity for Toy Story 2 just because I had a VHS so I ended up seeing it a lot more times. but Toy Story 3 I had a pretty high expectations for, but I didn't expect it to be executed in the way in which it was. That film was wonderful. I never expected to feel so many emotions, but the way in which they handle certain characters, the passing of time and um, just so many effective moments, I have only ever cried in a handful of films. And Toy Story, the three times I saw it in the cinema, Toy Story 3, I shed tears at the same point every time at the end of the movie when Andy is basically giving his toys away to that little girl. I am a puddle of mess. Ugh. <laughs> So yeah, those would be probably my favourite, most memorable cinema experiences.
1: <laughs> nice. No, so I did actually have a you know kind of inkling that you would mention uh, Toy Story three. I know you really do adore that film. I think I was looking at your um, five star films on Letterboxd the uh, the other week, and uh, Toy Story three was one of them. I know you've only got a very few. Yeah. So you must really love that movie.
0: I know and I I haven't seen it for a while but I know that every time I think about it I still have that same sort of like feeling in my soul man so so it's good stuff (laughs) alright do you want to move on to the worst ones now? Do you want me to go first?
1: Please (laughs) okay I have one main experience and this was with you I think I know which one it is (laughs) it'll be interesting actually What, what do you think it is? oh okay you know what um
0: You know, it's only because it's the one that's most visceral in my mind Is the time we went to see Iron Man 2
1: Yep, that's the one Yes! (laughs) That is it And I wonder if that actually is why I didn't bother going to see Iron Man 3 afterwards (laughs) But yeah, Iron Man 2 was such an irritating experience Because of that child
0: (laughs) He was a prick
1: me and you, you know, at that point in time, I was still enjoying Marvel. You know, I liked Iron Man 1. I was very eager to go see Iron Man 2 with you. You know, we got in, sat down, pretty decent seats off to the left a little bit. Yeah. And then this, uh, I can't remember if it was a whole family or um, just a mother and her child. I, I think it was a family. Mm. Mm, I'm not too sure. I, I, I do just remember that the mum was right behind us and she did nothing. Yeah, I I I know the mum was sat behind us with her child, but I do remember some others coming in later on. So I don't know if if they were gonna meet up or what. But yeah, yeah the mother and her child sat directly behind us, and uh, you know, fair enough, that's fine. A um, li- little bit later on, I'll be mentioning some other people who sat behind us, and you know, <laughs> that's cool. You can sit where you want as long as you're not gonna be a pain. But this child was just such a little runt, man. <laughs> like as soon as the film started he was screaming running around the cinema you know moving the, the, the seats up and down you know you where they've got them them flappy seats that we the seats go up when you're not sitting on them and you can pull them down you know he's just banging them you know running around like it was a playground and the mother this whole time did not do anything she just sat there and you know how it is with us british you know nobody says anything we just sit there and give yeah. give it give people dirty looks uh which which is our fault but you know this child they were directly behind me yeah and you know every time the child came back to the mother it would kick the back of my seat and you'd just screaming in my ear i was just thinking why what is the point the child was like what 4 or 5 so fair enough he doesn't know any better but it begs the question why bring a child that young to go see iron man 2 i don't understand our logic either i don't i just don't get it and they completely ruined the film for me they were there i think for at least 45 minutes i'd say
0: long enough for it to ruin like you know a good chunk of the film experience because i after a while you're not paying attention to the film anymore or you're trying to do both this stupid kid kicking a chair running up and down the, ah, <laughs>
1: I hate that child. I think somebody must have made a complaint in the end because uh, some people from the cinema did actually come in and then uh, there was a big group kind of down where the entrance was and that's where the mother and child kind of disappeared, I remember, but yeah, they left like halfway through the, the film and never came back, so they came just to interrupt everybody and then left, but... Yeah. I know, you should know better. If I had a child, I wouldn't and they're that young. I wouldn't take them to see, you know, a, a primetime, you know, Iron Man 2 showing. They have specific slots, you know, family slots for people to bring young children. So, you know, that just, it ruined the film for me. I, c- I couldn't believe it. It's the first time that someone has disrupted a viewing to that degree. It's one of those horror stories you read about. But, yeah... Now, every time I see a young child come into the cinema, I get, like, PTSD. Ah,
0: <laughs> 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 oh, that's so extreme.
1: But oh. the second one I was going to mention was actually Interstellar, which was, uh, you know, it was fine. It was a fine time at the cinema. You mean I, li- I liked Interstellar. I didn't think it was great. I, I didn't think it lived up to the hype at all. But, you know, it was a fine film, and I was enjoying myself watching it. The ending did leave me a bit sour and yeah. uh, that was kind of bolstered by these children that came in i what? suppose they yeah you know they were like chavvy kids you know oh, they were God, like 14 15 years old they'd obviously just finished watching their film and before leaving the cinema they'd come into a different screen and they they waltzed in there was like four or five of them they went right to the back this was like the last 15 minutes of interstellar and they got out one of those laser pointers and started oh shining it at the screen and I was just thinking are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to come in in the last 15 minutes and start messing around. People have been sat here for two hours and now you're going to come and leave them with this sour feeling. Oh my god it made me so angry. <laughs> Thankfully um, the the cinema staff were actually really good. They, they came in within a few minutes and it kicked them out but that's not what you want when you want when you go to the cinema you want to watch a film you don't to be immersive you know you don't want any kind of interruptions or reminders of the outside you know and then these kids come in and start ruining it for everyone it's just annoys me so much so those are my two worst experiences uh iron man 2 definitely more so than interstellar but yeah anybody that comes into the cinema and actively disrupts it for everybody else
0: <laughs> so filth oh.
1: so, yeah. I love it <laughs> there's a certain etiquette you need to follow when you go to the cinema, I'm sorry but there is people pay a lot of money to go to the cinema these days, I think for me I, I pay every month for the membership and if people who don't have that and they want to go see a movie it is like £13 at my local cinema that is yeah. like an hour and a half work, you know you yeah. have to work for an hour and a half to earn that money and then mm. people just come and ruin your, your experience that you've paid for. So, yeah.
0: It's a, it's a, it's a dark time to be alive when... Well, actually, you know what? <laughs> man, I mean, that sounds so much more extreme than it is. But no. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are,
1: <laughs> there are worse periods in history. I can oh, think but, of one or two, maybe.
0: But I totally get it. I mean, as a film fan, the cinema is one of the most sacred places you can watch things. I mean, it's different to watching it at home because, you know, everything's dark. You're s- sort of sharing this experience with other li- like minded people, hopefully. And you just want to be there with the screen. The only time you should ever be making noise is in reaction to what's happening on screen. And for some people just to come in and be disruptive or bring their stupid children along and not be good parents, keep the children quiet or, like, you know, handle their children. <sighs> <sighs> can't deal, but yeah um, I'm gonna jump in now because uh, funnily enough I have a few experiences but I'm only gonna I'm gonna put it down to two actually for it no I'm gonna put it down to three <sighs> okay so the first one that I can recall was when I went to see this nice little film called The Last Stand it was Arnold Schwarzenegger's first role as a leading man since uh, you know is it his term as Mr. Governor of California um, and <laughs> and I was really looking forward to this film, it looked like fun, and literally I got in there, the film was starting, and luckily not much was happening in this opening sequence, it was a scene at night, so it was fairly dark, Um, and I think there was a car coming, but literally as the film was starting, it was nice and quiet, and there was this old couple that came in, and they were bickering from the friggin' time they got inside, they were just like, oh I can't find the seats, oh because you took too long. Oh, where is it? It's over here. Oh, are you are you coming up the stairs yet? Oh, I'm coming, I'm coming. Then one of them goes to sit down. Oh, I can't find you. Where am I? I'm over here, you fool. I can't see you. It's too dark. And I'm like, shut up, man. Just shut up. What is wrong with you people? The, the cinema is quiet as hell. And you stupid people are moaning about finding your seats. Maybe if you showed up a little earlier, you'd know where your seats are. The cinema is meant to be dark. There's no lights because it's an immersive film. And sure, it's a night scene because you can't see anything. What do you expect? (laughs) This went on for five to ten minutes. And it was only the introduction of the film. Nothing excited had happened just yet. But Chris, I swear to God, I have never felt so much frustration for a set of people that wouldn't
1: shut up, man. Christ. Sometimes when people have come to this the film late, I've actually seen them be accompanied by a staff member with a torch to find their seats. Have you actually seen that before? Yeah, I've seen it on a few occasions. I think
0: it applied to a few people I've seen mainly more. So I think in London and anything else,
1: Mm. but Oh God, that Uh, it sounds frustrating. What happened when they found their seats? Were they quiet then? Eventually. Yes. I mean, once they sat down,
0: they were mainly just moaning for a few extra seconds. Some people found it funny. I just found it infuriating. I'm like, just shut up, man! Please, just just be quiet. No, I don't need to hear your like verbal diarrhea right now. Good gravy. But yeah, that's 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 film number one. Film number two. Um, there was a nice little uh, silly film from uh, 2013 again, <laughs> but uh, which is called Movie 43. One of the most infamous films in the comedy genre because at the time before it came out. It was one of the largest casts that was ever assembled for a comedy film, and you had everybody in it. Any person that you'd seen in a comedic role or just that was popular at the time was in the film. Um, God, I'm not even gonna begin to look the cast up. Just put put it up online, and you'll see exactly what I mean. Everybody was in this, and it was like a series of like you know was it sketches all stitched together in a massive film. And I was excited for the film because just because the cast was insane, it looked so stupid and fun, but all the film was was just stupid. It was a series of what the shag am I watching with varying levels of crap. Uh, Only one of them was funny, and it was the one to do with, like, you know, is it um, Chloe Grace Moretz getting a period or something? And it was just funny because it was so stupid, but at the same time, it's just basic humour. But the problem was... Everything that I dislike about, you know, was it American raunchy humor um, in terms of all the sex, drugs, and, uh, you know, was it toilet-based humor and all that kind of stuff. It was there. It was your basic, basic levels of humor except, you know, just gross out or very rude and violent. It's just just really the best you can come up with. Um, The film just felt like a waste of time. So when I came out of it, I was just like, "I've lost some time of my life. I'll never get back." I just felt so empty. Oh,
1: oh! So that that was the worst experience, just because the film was that bad. Yes, it It was nothing. Must have been bad. (laughs) It wasn't the people.
0: It was just a waste of life. That's the thing. Um, (laughs) And then there's one other, and this one's way more recent. Back in 2016. I think it was December, late December. I ended up watching this uh, video game adaptation called uh, Assassin's Creed. And My God, it was the most boring film I'd ever seen in my life. Ugh. Now I'm not like the biggest fan of, you know, is it Assassin's Creed? I've not played any of the games, but I respect the lore and the mythology that comes with it. And I think just from an outsider's point of view, looking in, the series just looks a lot of. It looks pretty interesting, and there's some. There's just a lot of great material to mine. And I thought because michael fassbender was teaming up with a guy that did Macbeth, who had like you know some pretty good material in terms of you know the way in which that film was shot the direction and you know was it uh bringing that kind of person into like you know a video game film it looked like it would be fun i mean the trailers look adequate to kind of crap but that was mainly due to the use of music than anything else and there were certainly moments inklings of you know okay this is you're adapting the best stuff from the video games, you know, in terms of some of the fight sequences and like some of the uh, source material, but the story was so painfully generic and basic. It follows every basic plot point you can see, and it sets up for a sequel that it doesn't deserve, and the film goes on for too long. The CGI where used in excess looks awful. It's an annoying CGI eagle that shows up, I think, about three or four times in the film in a really annoying manner, which I just wanted to fuck off. Um, and again, the worst offense that the film makes is it's just boring. Um, when you, when you're not in the past, you have to deal with all this future-based stuff and it's just not that interesting, but even the past stuff is boring. I fell asleep a grand total, three times while watching this film because it put me to sleep and I know that I'm a tired man these days, so I'm normally like, you know, drifting out most times anyway, but... The film was ultimately boring. I had like at least, I think, was it two cans of energy drink and even that couldn't save me. <laughs> it was the definition of dull. Dull. It was an insult to my eyes and my life. And just no wonder people keep hating on like video game films when they come up with quality like that.
1: I take it you won't ever be watching that film again then.
0: Unless I'm dead for money or I am
1: drunk. It's good I missed that one then. Okay, uh, let's talk about the most immersive then, yes. Okay, most immersive. Um, for me, there's, there's three films in particular. Ooh. Uh, the first is one I saw with you. It's The Road. Oh. <laughs> That's a good choice. And uh, this is when I... Earlier I mentioned how I was going to be talking about people coming into the cinema and sitting behind us again. And this was one of those films where we got there pretty early... And, you know, we sat in some decent seats and then um, it, it, there wasn't many people there in the screen. I think probably about 15, to 20 people, I'd say. Yeah. And then uh, this couple, I think they were, come in and they sit directly behind us when pretty much all the other seats are free. They could have sat anywhere else. They sat behind us and I was like, here we go. Going to have some irritant, you know, whispering behind us, maybe a little shuffling, kicking our seats, you know, how it goes when you've got people crowded in one area. But yeah. I was very pleasantly surprised. They were quiet throughout the whole film. They didn't do anything. So I'm sorry to that couple for thinking you might be annoying. You weren't. But the road was just such it was an immersive film by nature. You know, it's just this very kind of solitary journey between a father and his son. And just the way it was told, the way it was set up, the way it explored its themes was just entirely gripping to me as soon as it began. You Know, I was absorbed and I was absorbed all the way up until the end. It was just one of those films, and uh, that's why it's one of the most immersive for me. It'll be interesting. Did, did you kind of feel that way as well? You know what? Yeah, I remember watching that with you in the cinema, and I remember
0: it being a very um, intense experience because I don't know if how many uh, you know, sort of films set in a post apocalyptic like you know, um, setting I'd ever seen before that. But I just remember the experience just being, you know, fairly intense, uh, you know, very, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, down. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very pleasant movie, um, but I remember it j- just being, you know, a very interesting and intense experience. And I definitely really liked the film. I mean, I bought it on DVD, like, as soon as I had the money to get it. Um, although, funnily enough, I've not actually seen the film since I saw it back in 2009. I need to rewatch it. But I do remember liking it. But it's been a while. It's one of Vigo's best, I think. It's just such a great performance. And the amount of quotes we got from that one, bloody hell.
1: Yeah, we, we kept grabbing quotes from that for a long time afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second uh, film on my most immersive is actually Tintin. Oh. And uh, this was released at a time uh, when I was in uni. I went to uni in London. So there was a lot of nice cinemas around the area and i had a very long break in between my lectures i had uh, a couple in the morning and then i had a couple in the evening so i had pretty much the whole lunch time i had about three hours spare i think maybe three and a half so what i'd do is i'd go and see a film in between and uh it just happened to be this time i went to see tintin and this was around the period where i started going to watch uh, movies by myself like before I'd, I'd always gone with friends or gone with you and alon and um i'd never really kind of you know, gone to the cinema by myself. I always kind of thought of it before then as a kind of, you know... It's strange that people think of it as a kind of social experience because when you go to the cinema and you're watching a film, you don't really talk to anyone. But still, it's this kind of, you know, activity you do with friends, generally. But now I see most of the movies alone, so that's completely changed. But this is around the time I started going to see movies by myself. And I went to see Tintin I, I was familiar with Tintin, probably more familiar than I was um, with many of the superheroes, actually, because I had some of the Tintin books growing up. Yeah. And this was also another instance where a whole family came and sit next to me. <laughs> like, I, I was pretty <laughs> fairly near the, like, the front of the cinema. There, there really wasn't many people there at all, probably about 10 or so people. It was like on a Thursday or Friday, middle of the day. And um, obviously not kind of like prime time to go to the cinema, but this, um, I think it was the dad and his two children. They had a young boy and a young girl came and sat right next to me. The little girl was, was literally right into the seat next to me. And I thought, great, they could have sat anywhere else, but they come sat next to me. I thought it was going to be annoying and noisy, you know, my PTSD is kicking in but actually they were they were so well behaved and uh they were really great throughout the whole film and they clearly really enjoyed it so i'm glad they got a good experience but like the road i think tint one it's not really anything like the road but (laughs) similar to how the road was immersive through just you know the sheer nature of the film and the way it was told Tintin was also immersive in that way to me it was just such an adventurous and fun film that, uh, you know, when I sat down, I was totally ready to kind of you know, forget about uni, just kind of sit down and watch a good, fun film. And Tintin was precisely that. And it's also a film, I think it doesn't let up at all. It doesn't have any downtime. It's always going, has a great pace. And uh, it was just a really good time at the cinema for me. And lastly, uh, another film on the most immersive list for me is Gone Girl. And Gone oh, Girl damn, was... Good choice was incredibly gripping and immersive for me because i had not seen any trailers or i'd not read any information about it all all i'd heard about gone girl was that it was good i'd I'd known it was gone a lot of praise and people were saying you know it's worth going to see so i went to see gone girl didn't know anything about it and just completely absorbed brilliant story just in every way a stunning film so those are the most immersive for me oh mate because you mentioned that it caused me to rethink about one of my
0: choices, and I've literally just made a quick change, which I think is a much better choice. So I have four, Well, I'll try to be as brief as possible. Right. Firstly, we're going back to the year 2001 uh, with The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> I remember being 11 watching this in the cinema and just being like, there is nothing like this I've ever seen in my life on this sense of scale, this kind of adventure. I have never been so... Lost in a world like that, uh, you know, because I'd seen films in the cinema before, like you know, Godzilla, The Matrix, and like um, some other films of you know, big budget natures, but nothing Godzilla. like this. With <laughs> I love that bit, um, <laughs> but yeah, just Lord of the Rings was just something else, just the sense of scope, the visual material, uh, the battles the fear that i felt especially when like you know was it frodo and the gang are running away from like you know was it the uh what do you call that oh no the was it ring wave uh, ring oh ring wraith yeah yeah th- those guys are creepy ass motherfuckers man and that was scary i didn't like that at all when i was 11 i was like go oh, get away frodo get away jump on the boat <laughs> get away you um, <laughs> but also just because it was such an immersive experience that like nearly three hours and then when it ended how it did i was just like where's the rest of the movie this is <laughs> where it ends what is this i was like is that it i was talking to my dad I was like where, where's the rest of the movie <laughs> so obviously i wasn't really aware at the time because i don't i didn't follow films back then as i did as when i when i became a teenager but to find out that there was still another two installments afterwards, it was just like I'd been on this massive journey, and
1: it just wasn't even over yet. I was like, "Damn!" <laughs> uh... Can I just chime in with my uh, experience? Oh yeah, with the yeah, coverings? yeah. You see, I I love the Lord of the Rings, as you know, and The Fellowship of the Ring is one of my favorite films ever, and it's my favorite film from the Lord of the Rings franchise. But yeah. it's the only one I didn't actually see in the cinema. Oh. Uh, I first saw The Fellowship of the Ring in France, actually. Uh, I was on holiday, and it had recently come out on VHS, I think, and my auntie brought it along. And uh, uh, my other auntie lives in France, so we were in her house. And, uh, you know, one uh, evening we watched The Lord of the Rings on this little small box TV, you know, <laughs> like a whole family around. Yeah. And uh, it was just – it was brilliant. I, I would have been like 10 or 11 at the time as well. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this is this is great. And I remember when it finished, um, my cousin remarked that it was kind of stupid the way it ended. Yeah. And I, was, I didn't say anything to her, but I was, in my mind I was just thinking, what are you, what, what are you talking about? That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the first time I got on kind of irritated that somebody had a different opinion than me on a film. Yeah, yeah. But oh, yeah, I... yeah, it was really immersive for me as well. Um, but obviously I didn't see it in the cinema. Um, but yeah that was a great time nice
0: um the second one is actually a film i saw with you and i think lon was there as well good old district nine (laughs) i'd never seen a film done in a sort of documentary style like that and i don't know if i had any major expectations about what the film was like prior to going into it i just thought it was a very interesting film great setting, unusual characters and the majority of the cast I don't think I even knew the hell any of them were so I think it just made it even more interesting and just seeing the journey of this one guy (laughs) who's so funny and strange and wonderful and then things just start to get dark and creepy and unnatural and by the end of it just the journey that he's gone on and he just becomes this thing with all the interesting technology and the sci-fi setting and the way it's just incorporated it felt so down to earth and realistic and gritty and I hate to use some of those terms because they're thrown about far too often in like you know the, the film sphere but it was just such a random and enjoyable experience I'd never been taken back by a film in that kind of way before so I was like yeah it's really good
1: nice yeah District re- no, night was a really good time I really loved that
0: as well um, the next one is from 2014 I believe uh, Nightcrawler yeah
1: i like that i had to put that one on there Um, the jake gyllenhaal night crawler yes oh you're lucky i didn't get to see that in the cinema i remember seeing it advertised but i never got to see it i wish i had
0: yeah um i remember seeing the trailers for this and i was like oh okay i need to be in on this so i went to see that and my goodness what an experience in the cinema that was i was enthralled I have never just been so just taken back by a character and his ambition and desire and just horrible choices in life to do what he does just to go about and be successful. The way in which that story progresses from point A to point B as certain things become, you know, was it as the stakes become bigger and the stories and situations become, you know, more and more questionable and... You know, the morals and ethics of like some of the choices that some of these characters are making, mainly the main character, just become more and more unnerving uh, and just bad. And there was this one scene where uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is talking to Renee Russo, and it is the most chilling, awkward, and just what the hell kind of conversation. And then after the film ends, well, actually, when you see the film end in the way in which it does, and it's just like, what the hell did I
1: just watch? It was brilliant, but I'm just like, this is wrong. (laughs) This is so wrong. I love the ending. That that was a film for me as well, really immersive. Um, I think I watched it, I wasn't really feeling very well. So, um, you know, I I had it on my laptop, I went to lie down, you know, just kind of watch a film and kind of forget about how ill I was feeling. And thankfully, Nightcrawler did actually do that. It it immersed me so much that I forgot about my (laughs) stomachache. That's good, man. Um, but Jake Gyllenhaal, he is one of those, you know, I think most gripping actors. A lot of his roles and a lot of the movies he's in are really kind of immersive, like uh, Nightcrawler, Prisoners, Enemy, uh, Donnie Darko as yeah, well. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, I think he's just one of those mm. actors.
0: Okay, cool. And um, the final one is uh, actually from last year, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Ooh um mainly because again we went through this when we did the first episode which you can listen to on soundcloud um or youtube yeah or youtube yes yes sorry i need to you know promote both um (laughs) (laughs) but seriously as a person who wasn't really like the biggest fan of the original blade runner who appreciated it for what it was but just didn't really love it i expected a lot because of like uh Denis Villeneuve's like track record as a director, and you know the trailers looked pretty good. It was like basically an expansion upon what had happened beforehand, but with you know advanced technology, Uh, some well, you know some modern related cast members and some old returning ones as well. But I didn't expect the story, the scope, and you know just the overall film to engross me in the way in which it did. Uh, Loads of people complained about the runtime of this film, and like The Wolf of Wall Street, I felt it went by pretty quickly i had no problem with the runtime i was invested in the story its characters and the revelation that like you know happened and certain things that went on and by the end of it i was just like this film ended up being just so much more than i ever could have expected it just it took me to a world i was in it i felt it i was intrigued confused sad overwhelmed with all sorts of random emotions and just it was just such a good time i had a good time with this one man
1: (laughs) You can't see me but i'm nodding my head (laughs) yeah those are some good choices
0: so yeah that's the uh the most immersive one so now we move on to the Well, actually not the penultimate because that would have been the last one so yeah the last one the most disappointing (laughs) most
1: disappointing okay i only have one film for most disappointing um, I'm a bit ambivalent towards it. I think uh, if I watched it again now, I'd mm-hmm. maybe have a new appreciation for it. Yes. But at the time when I went to see it, it, it was just it was disappointing in that it wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. It's uh, The Neon Demon from... Oh! What's, what's he called it? Nicholas Winding Refn. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, you know, he did Drive and... Um, was it only god forgives is that yeah that's the yeah yeah the other one that's the right. one that yeah. people are very on the fence about i've seen some people say that that film is is absolutely astounding and a lot of people that just think it's trash but i have <laughs> i haven't actually seen it but i would like me neither. to watch it me too <laughs> but i really love drive and yeah. when i saw the neon demon advertised it just looks so stunning to me just the whole style of it and, you know all the neon imagery. And it's just highly stylized, and obviously Nicholas Winding Refn. He's all about you know kind of atmosphere and style. Um, but I I don't think his films lack in. Well, I I I say this from the few I have seen. I don't think they lack in substance to a degree where the films are then kind of you know empty. I think yeah. definitely they have enough story. And I think, I've seen a lot of people say the Neon Demon didn't have much substance, but I think it, it definitely had, uh, it, it was there for me, but it just was a different film to, to what I thought it would be, uh, especially coming from the trailers. I thought it, you know, it was kind of like a very, it was basically Drive, but you know, it was set within kind of the fashion modeling industry. Yeah. But it was more of a kind of horror, and I just didn't expect that from it. And uh, it was actually quite grotesque in areas some sequences were really quite disgusting and um, it actually reminded me of a film from 2014 I think called Starry Eyes which is, is a little bit similar and I actually really disliked Starry Eyes I, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, body horror at all and um, unlike the Neon Demon it just didn't have a lot going for it I think although the Neon Demon is pretty grotesque and if you're not into that it can be really off-putting but at least the Neon Demon has some really stellar performances it has a brilliant soundtrack and obviously this style is on point it has some great cinematography and just the aesthetic is wonderful to look at it's marvellous to look at so I definitely liked the Neon Demon uh, a lot more than Starry Eyes and uh, I do love it in ways I think there are certain sequences in the Neon Demon which are just brilliant and so i would like to give it another go and uh, it will be interesting to see if my thoughts have changed at all but yeah it was just disappointing the first time in that it was completely different from what i was expecting
0: oh okay cool cool um i have a number of films that would fall into the disappointing category because well you could call me simple because I enjoy a lot of different things so if I see a trailer that looks like it be, might be my jam I'll be like yo I'm down for that and I'll ultimately come out thinking oh yeah this could be anywhere between you know really great decent average or just you know poor uh, I've ended up falling into the poor trap a few too many times and even some of the films I mentioned previously a movie 43 or like uh, what's it Assassin's Creed falls into this category as well I could even put like uh, films like uh, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, and Jack the Giant Slayer, Good Gravy. Those films piss me off. But if we were to be very specific, I'm going to put it down to two films. The first comes from 2012, and it's the first Pixar film that ever actively annoyed and disappointed me. And we are talking about Brave. I saw the trailers for this. I was super excited, um, especially once... Uh, Kelly Macdonald was like cast as Merida because like I was watching her in *Boardwalk Empire* at the time, so I was just like, "Oh, I love that woman! She's gonna be the voice of the, uh, you know, the princess in this new film. I'm giddy!" And the trailers looked like so much fun. And for the first half of that film, I loved it. It was great. You know, Merida's just this like, you know, headstrong, really talented girl that can't do you know warrior-based stuff because she's a princess and her mum won't allow her to do anything. And, you know she's defying her mother everything's going great the film is ascending in the typical Pixar manner but I mean that in a great way everything's in that sort of uh, upper echelon of like uh, you know Pixar greatness and then the film takes a left turn right in the middle when it turns into a stupid kids movie and it's awful awful basically it's the bit where you know the mother and her little brothers get turned into bears and it's just a totally different movie tonally it shifts and it just doesn't have that same Pixar magic it feels like just the worst kind of basic Disney kind of film I don't know it was just a left turn that I just didn't like and it just ruined the film for me I was just if you would sat next to me you just see this like you know crossed arm like kind of guy just like this just isn't (laughs) for me what the hell, did, what the hell are you thinking, Pixar? Um, and another film, uh, I think I saw this one with you as well. We're going back to 2009 with uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Ah, <laughs> oh, I was absurdly hyped for this film. You don't even know because, okay, X-Men 3 had come out and everyone had sort of come to terms with the fact that that film kind of sucked us. But the trailers for the new film look really fun. And obviously, me, you and a <laughs> had quoted the hell out of that film to the highest degree to the point where it was just pure jokes. Anytime I saw that trailer in the cinema I was just there, uh... <laughs> I can't even say it because it's making me laugh. Oh, you know, putting together a special team for special proof <laughs> just... <laughs> Join me and you will have your revenge. Oh... <laughs> uh... <laughs>
1: Jeez. I know who you are, Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, yep, that brings uh, back all those
0: memories. Oh, and even now, I've seen the film more times than I care to count. I think I've seen the film now. I think maybe four times, uh, maybe five. Sometimes for like you know rewatching purposes, but also just because I like to torture myself. Um, the last time I rewatched it, I think was before the Wolverine had come out. Um, you know the 2013 film. Um, yeah. And the film actively pisses me off because Wolverine, even though he's like one of the most overhyped, like you know, is it comic book characters now? He still has one of the most interesting backstories, and I feel like in you know X Men one and two they laid the foundation of that in those interesting flashback sequences in a very visceral and you know intense kind of way. So I was like, oh yeah, well have laid the groundwork for this. It could look really cool in a film. And, you know, just realising what kind of life Wolverine would have before he became, you know, the mutant that we all know and love and that kind of stuff. It would be interesting, but this backstory was just the most painfully basic, boring, and even just, even the fight scenes aren't fight scenes. They're skirmishes. At least the hand-to-hand combat stuff was skirmishes. The wire work is awful. The CGI is questionable to really crappy and they ruined one of the best characters in comics, which I can't stand now because I th- he's been overhyped to hell. We're talking about good old Wade Wilson, aka Deadpool. Before, Deadpool was the beloved character that everyone loves now in pop culture. He was a character that everyone loved in comic books and we were looking forward to seeing what kind of thing he was, you know, seeing how he'd be ad- adapted. And Ryan Reynolds in his Wade Wilson you know was it portion of the film he was great he had the right sort of like you know uh, comedic sensibilities he was even wearing clothes that was like similar to Deadpool but then when they introduced that thing that looked like Baraka from bloody Mortal Kombat with the bloody claws in his arms the blades in his arms and he stitched his mouth together and he could teleport for some reason it was completely idiotic it was stupid Uh, was it Lee Schreiber is that how you say his name He's a great actor, but he wasn't utilised to his best of his abilities. I mean, he was a better bloody saber-tooth than that guy in X-Men, but my gosh, they they wasted him. (sighs) This film annoys me with the lack of logic, and its continuity to the rest of the films in the X-Men series is just awful. (sighs) (laughs) Calm down, take your pills. (laughs) Yeah, I need to take my medication. Um, No, that film is just... Just the worst,
1: dude. On that note, then, shall we wrap up? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) That was interesting. (laughs) It would be good to kind of revisit uh, this in a few years, see if uh, there's anything been added to to the list. Yeah,
0: just, oh, God.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Next episode will probably be a uh, a special episode. Ooh. As uh, me and Curtis... And perhaps even Elon, who you might hear from one day, <laughs> are going to be visiting the uh, Comic-Con, as it's branded now, in uh, uh, London. Ugh. In uh, just a few weeks. So we'll, we're going to be doing the whole three-day event. So we'll probably do a, an episode on that and our experiences we have there afterwards. And so that will be episode 10. Quite fitting. Oh, yeah. Episode 10 for the 10-year anniversary. Woo! MCM London Expo. That's what it's really called. They're not called it as a stupid Comic Con bullcrap. You see, I've said this before, but when you actually search MCM now, some people just call it MCM. I think Elon just calls it MCM. But when you search MCM onto Google, the first thing that comes up now is MCM Comic Con, which doesn't really make sense because when it was MCM Expo, the MCM stood for um, Movies, Comics and Media. So it was the Movies, Comics and Media Expo but now it's the movies comics and media comic con it just doesn't really make sense why is comic in there twice because they're idiots that's why oh mcm might be kind of what the banishing company refer to themselves as now. Well, i don't know maybe <laughs> they just kept the branding to try and please you know both kind of peoples i guess but yep I'm, I'm going to have to unfortunately refer to it as Comic Con because that's the most uh, <clears throat> recognizable to everybody you know from on the global scale but when we say the Expo we do mean Comic Con so we're going to be going to the Expo Comic Con yes. in a few weeks and we'll tell you all about that and uh, what we get up to there Woo! so that'll be uh, at the end of May perhaps the beginning of June depending on how long it takes to edit so we'll catch you then yes and uh, until then that's goodbye from me,
0: and uh, this is goodbye from me. And make sure you check out Impressions in Motion on SoundCloud and YouTube. Um, I'm not gonna. The links will be in the
1: description in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if the links are actually in the description, but you you can find them. Yeah, uh, just look or, them up. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or you can go to to my blog, Morning Rue dot com m-o-r-n-i-n-g-r-o-o dot and click the podcast link i've put all the information there and we also have twitter that curtis runs that's impress in motion not impressions impress i-m-p-r-e-s-s in motion yeah <laughs> cool okay thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next time to wrap it out